Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. That's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right, well, thanks for tuning in to episode 19. This episode is going to be called something like, I'll figure it out after I record it, but it's going to be along the lines of how do we help students learn to socialize with each other again? Because let's be honest, there has been a little bit of a disruption in how students socialize the last couple years. You know, I just spent so much time on the road working with teachers, and one of the questions I always ask is, what has been most challenging about teaching during a pandemic. And I hear lots and lots of things. I've heard about how hard it is to communicate with parents, which I agree that communication has been a a struggle and, and it's been an amplified one the last couple of years. I've heard about, you know, just dealing with teacher shortages, of course, and sub shortages, of course, and too many students in classrooms and not enough funding and all of the noise from politics and social media. There's been all of that. But the common denominator, the one that I have heard more than anything else has been the struggle of getting students to really engage again in school. And, and one of those struggles that I hear over and over and over, and I have seen myself in my own classrooms with students who are at the college level, is this ability or the lack of ability to meaningfully socialize with each other. Um, you know, because when everything went virtual, socialization took a huge hit. Students didn't know how to communicate with each other virtually, and I think they still don't. I think a lot of us still don't. I don't have as much connection with others when I'm looking through a Zoom screen. You know, I was listening to this podcast recently where uh, this researcher was talking about how when we connect with people in a Zoom space or on Google Hangouts, you're looking at one part of the screen, and they're seeing you from a different perspective. It's We don't have that same spatial awareness that you would have if you were in a physical space and so our memory suffers because of it you know we actually have different shared memories with the people we're communicating with online versus in person because if we're in person you're sitting across from someone they're sitting across from you they have the same memory of where you are and and we're looking each other in the eye and we can read each other's body language and we can change the inflection of our tone and our volume so much better than if we're in completely different spaces with different lighting and a different aspect of how we're seeing each other. And that actually affects the way that we remember and engage with different situations and conversations and interactions that we have. And so obviously this is the same for students. They had this long period where they're only meeting in this virtual space and they come back to school and they suffer from losing that social interaction for so long. But then even when we were in school, it was, hey, you can't actually work in groups with your friends anymore. You can't sit across from other people because of COVID. You actually have to stay spread out. Or maybe some of the people who you were working in a group with, who you were interacting with, maybe you were getting warmed up to the idea of being with other people again. Some of them are going to be out for the next two weeks because of quarantining. Or or we're going to have to mix up and stagger how our classes meet and only half of you are going to meet. And, and because of all of the disruption and all of the things getting in the way, 
we're not actually going to be able to interact in the same way. Now, a lot of those blockers and, and the things that prevented students from getting to interact with each other, a lot of those things are gone right now. And hopefully they stay gone. I'm sitting at a wood table. I'm going to knock it real quick, right? Like hopefully the quarantining and the social distancing and even some of that virtual learning that was a necessity and it was helpful for a time. Hopefully a lot of that is behind us. It's in the rear view. We are moving past it and students can be together again. However, that doesn't remove the fact that the disruption happened and we're seeing the result of that in the way that students interact. There just seems to be this awkwardness about how do I connect with others? How do I, what, what does my body language, what is it supposed to look like? I haven't had to use any of those skills for a while. Now all of a sudden I need to have the right posture for interaction. And how do I agree with other people and disagree with other people and make eye contact and smile when I'm supposed to smile and, and, and all of the things that come with the natural thing that we do when we interact with others, when that has been taken away and now it's back, how do we help students learn to interact with each other socially again? And so that's what we're going to talk about right now is how do we help students learn to interact and socialize after this long period of disruption when we're trying to get them to interact and socialize? Because let's be honest, it's really hard to feel excited about what you're teaching and how you're leading a classroom when it's just crickets or when students don't know how to do these things. And so I think when we help students learn to socialize and interact with each other, we're actually helping our teaching practice because there is loads of research that shows that when students learn with each other, when it's not just from the teacher, the sage on the stage giving all the information, but when you know the teacher maybe gives information or directs students to learning certain skills or knowledge, but then when they share it with each other, when, when they process it together and they debate about it and they discuss it and they share with one another, when this happens, students learn at such a deeper level. They actually, the information is retained at a deeper level because it's had to be processed in order to be shared with others. And so we want that in our classroom. It improves learning, but it's also absolutely essential as a human being that you know how to interact with others. It's, it's absolutely essential. In fact, one of the number one reasons that people are fired from their jobs in the 21st century, that young people are not kept in employment, is because they lack the ability to socialize and interact with their teammates and with their superiors. They don't know how to do it. And, and so if you can't work on a team, you can't work here. And that's actually, go look it up. That's one of the top reasons young people do not keep their employment. In fact, I, I saw recently that the top three reasons that people are leaving their jobs right now are all communication related. It's either there's a communication breakdown between the, the superiors in a company organization, so the bosses don't communicate well with their staffs, or the staff doesn't communicate well with their bosses. They don't know how to advocate for what they need but then the third reason is because the staff doesn't know how to communicate with one another. Peers don't know how to socialize in meaningful and productive ways. And those are all the top three reasons people are leaving their jobs. And so we want to help students learn to socialize for teaching practice. We also want to help them do it because it enhances their own learning experience. And it just makes life better when your students are learning to talk and work together and become friends with one another and, and do all those things that are part of what it means to be human. So let's talk about some different ways to help them re-socialize after this, this long, long, dark COVID experience.
And I think one of the things we can do is just making time to check in with students and see how things are going and, and doing this in groups. And so maybe your students have designated groups and you can number them off your group one, your group two, your group three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. So you group your students off and you tell them like, hey, on Wednesday, I'm going to have a check-in meeting with groups one and two individually. And so I'm going to meet with those groups of students and we're going to just have quick non-school related check-ins just to give them an opportunity to socialize with one another with you being present and helping guide them through that. And I think it's helpful to go to those meetings just with meaningful questions that you want to ask them. And so talking as a group, hey, how are you really doing? Let's talk about how are you actually doing right now? And you're not allowed to answer with good or bad. You actually have to talk about it. And then when some, one student bravely shares how they're really doing, encouraging everybody else, hey, does anybody relate to this? Really just showing them how to have these type of interactions. Or asking a question, how is your family doing? What are you struggling with most right now? What's getting you excited right now? Now, I know these are really basic questions, and they might not have to do with English class or history class or science or math. But what we're doing is we're showing students, hey, this is how you ask meaningful questions. And, and maybe asking those questions, and if you get crickets and students aren't responding, sharing how you're really doing. Or what are you excited about in this moment? Or what book or show or what are you consuming that's, that's bringing you life right now? And sharing it with them. And really just teaching them what good conversation looks like. And again, I know it's basic. But I think students need to be reintroduced to what good conversations look like because a lot of our students don't have good models of that. They're not getting to see what healthy conversations actually look like. Maybe they see the news on at their homes and they just see a bunch of yelling and debate. We're not debating right now. We're talking with each other. We're discussing. And so... Maybe they see media in that way, or maybe they're just on social media and they're seeing just this abrasive climate that's all about anger and, and speaking to a big old echo chamber, but instead saying, all right, hey, once a week, we're going to meet as a group and we're just going to talk for five, 10 minutes about how things are actually going in life. And so I think it's really helpful to have those type of check-ins. It's also good formative data for you because you get to kind of help keep tabs on where your students are at, how they're feeling but the way that they're expressing it is through their words, through social interaction. And what I've found is that when I do this with students, they all of a sudden start wanting these meetings. They look forward to sitting down and sharing how they're really doing. I know there's lots of talk about how kids these days don't like to go deeper. They don't like to share how they're really feeling. But I think that's all rubbish. I found that students always, since the beginning of time, but especially since I've been a teacher, I found that they like to go deep with one another. And it's not just with their friends who they want to actually unpack their lives with. They want to do it with their peers and the people they're around, but they need spaces to do this. And so I think one way to help students learn to re-socialize is creating a regular space for this. Having them turn and talk to one another and talk about things that don't have to do with school, but instead are relevant to their own lives. How are you doing? How is your family? What are you excited about right now? What are you struggling with? What do you need to be more successful in school? Asking these questions can go a really long way with students in helping them learn to have these conversations when you are not around. And you know, and on that note, as we talk about, you know, having these type of interactions, it's also really important by to put them in groups and have them do meaningful work with one another. And so, yeah, it's great to have conversations that are non-school related, but let's help them also learn to interact with each other when they're doing schoolwork. 
But to do this, we've got to give them a good reason to want to work with one another. I've talked about collaboration on this podcast before, but I'll reiterate it. The best way to get students to collaborate is to give them a good reason to. Because collaboration's hard. Sometimes social interaction is hard, especially if it doesn't come natural to you. You know, if you're, if you're an introvert, you like to recharge by yourself and you need time to process before sharing. You know, being asked to work meaningfully in a group and really contribute can be a, a pretty big task. It can be a big task for anyone. And so one of the ways that we can get them to interact is to have them collaborate more in school, but then give them really solid reasons to collaborate. And I may have said this before in the podcast, but I'll say it one more time. When I say the word collaborate, what I don't mean is that students are always working together in proximity during a project. That's actually not what collaboration is. I think a lot of time when we hear the term group work, we think, oh, my students are going to be sitting at a table four at a time and they're going to be turning and talking to each other and it's going to turn into social hour and nothing's going to get done. It's unproductive. Yeah, that's, that's unhealthy group work. What collaboration actually is, is it's the combining of knowledge and skills and resources to achieve a common goal. And it turns out to do that, you don't have to be sitting at a table with other people at all times. Sometimes collaboration means you're sitting with other people, you come up with a game plan, and everybody disperses to get their things done, but they have each other to lean on while they're doing that work. That's what good collaboration is. You know, if you're a teacher, you're probably spending most of your time away from other teachers, unless you have a co-teacher. But if you teach by yourself, you might go the whole week without really having any meaningful interactions with other adults. You're with students all day, and yet you're still collaborating, right? You're still working and using your skills and your knowledge and your resources to achieve the common goal with other teachers to help your students succeed. And so when you're by yourself, you're still working as a team, right? And when we come together for PLCs or staff meetings, the object of that should be to combine what we're doing and, and learning from each other so that we can go back to our individual spaces and serve students. That's still collaboration, even if we're not together. And so I just wanted to get that out there first as we talk about collaboration. It's not always having social interaction. It's instead taking what we all have and trying to achieve a common goal. But sometimes the best collaboration happens when there is a form of interaction happening. And so if we want students to learn to talk with one another, let's give them opportunities that really mean something. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that when students are doing meaningful work, when there is a service aspect to it, when you can, as the teacher, articulate what the real reason is for this group work, there is actu actually a measurable difference in their social development. Students socialize better when they are working towards something purposeful. And so if we want to get kids to work together hard and we want them to learn to interact and collaborate, let's give them work that actually matters. You know, instead of saying, hey, we are going to collaborate to do this group project so that you can get a grade at the end. Yeah, that's not very purposeful. And a lot of students aren't going to want to do the hard work of collaboration and socially interact just for a grade. So instead, what if, hey, we're working as a group so we can solve this real problem? And we're going to have to learn some content in the process. So like, let's say that they're going to write short stories and that's their assignment. You're going to write a short story as a group together, but we're not just doing it for a grade. We're going to write these short stories and we're going to print them out and we're going to send them to a retirement home for elderly people to read. Now, all of a sudden, what we're writing is still content based and there's still collaboration happening to put it all together. But now there's this higher level purpose to it. 
We're not just writing it for us, we're writing it for someone else. And what that does is promote social development. You know, it's the same thing, let's say you're doing a science project and we're trying to learn about why hygiene and viral transmission uh, can be prevented or at least slowed down if we do certain things. And so we're gonna write about that as a group and we're gonna create PSA videos. We're gonna write video scripts and we're gonna make a video about how we can promote good hygiene in school. All right, well, if you were just gonna create that for the teacher, and that was the whole point of it for the grade book and the teacher, yes, students might not be inclined to collaborate and interact with each other to make it. But what if we made these PSAs and the goal was we're going to create these and then we're going to take them to the lower grade schools. We're going to go to the elementary schools and we're going to show them to their students so that they can practice these, these best practices for hygiene. That's the point of what we're creating. All of a sudden, that purpose will help students learn to collaborate better together. And so if we want students to work together, let's give them good reasons for it. And there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, but I think it's always asking the question, all right, if I'm going to have them work in groups, how can I articulate why it's important that we do this work? What is the deeper level purpose behind it? Knowing that it's actually going to promote more social development. Now, there's some really great tools and resources, and you can get them at my website, too, that help them learn to collaborate and interact together better. One of them is called the Group Contract, and this is just basically a, a Google Doc that students fill out before any type of social interaction or group time when they're doing group work, saying, all right, as a group, you know what our task is now. We're going to sit down, and you're going to fill out this group contract together. The first thing you're going to do is have a conversation with the other people in your group about where you are strongest as it relates to the project that we're gonna work on. And what areas for growth do you have? What weaknesses do you have? Share, turn and talk with each other. None of these mean that you are not gonna work on certain things in the project. This is a way for you to get to know each other and find out where you are strong and where you have room for growth. So talk about that, write it down in your contract, then move on to the next thing. What is the goal of the, the task at hand? As a group, discuss what are you trying to accomplish and then write it down. And the point behind that is for them to, again, talk with each other, you know, figure out, all right, how do we want to metabolize what we're trying to do? If we can understand what the purpose of this is, it's going to motivate better work. And so let's do that as a group. Let's metabolize. Let's articulate it together and then let, let's write it down. And then the next thing I have in the group contract is what agreements can we all make about how we work together right now? So as a group, talk about what drives you crazy about collaboration and now what can we do to agree with one another about how we can act to prevent those things that drive us crazy from happening? So as a group, talk about it. All right, I hate it when I do all the work and everybody else gets the credit. Okay, what can we all agree on to make sure that doesn't happen? And then have them write it down. I agree that I will not be on my phone during group work. I agree that if I'm frustrated with somebody in my group, I will let them know. I agree if somebody's frustrated with me, I will be open to their feedback. I agree that if I'm absent, I will check in with my group. Whatever it is, just have them write those agreements down, but first have them talk about it. Again, what we're doing is we're teaching students how to interact with each other and kind of come to common understanding. And what's great about a group contract is it's a place for them to write it down and at the end you have them sign off on it and you're saying, hey, I'm accountable to these agreements that I made with my group. And again, this is really helpful as you move forward with whatever the project or unit is because now you have this reference point. If students violate the contract, now all of a sudden you can have a conversation and say, hey, 
Didn't you sign off that you weren't going to be on your phone? Or, hey, I see that you're really frustrated with your group. Didn't you say that you were going to talk with them if you were frustrated? Can I help you with that? And so what we're doing is we're giving them collaboration practice, and there's this accountability system now. Um, but beyond all of that, you're teaching students how to have meaningful conversations and discussions with one another. You know, another thing I love to give students before collaborative work is called a project management log. It's just four columns in a Google Doc. One column is titled task. One is titled who is responsible. There's a col column titled due date and then a column titled status. So before any collaborative work time, even if students are going to spread out in the room and work individually, because that's still collaboration, you say, all right, as a group, figure out what needs to get done and write it in the task column. Then talk about who is going to do what and write it in the who is responsible column. In the due date column, Share with your group when you think you are going to have your task done. Write it down. You're accountable to that now. And at the end of group time, come back with your group and talk about what was accomplished, what still needs to get done. And in the status column, write ongoing or completed. What we're doing here is we're teaching students how to plan, but also how to plan their time together, which is social interaction, which is teaching students that, hey, it doesn't hurt to talk with other people. It's actually a good thing when we learn to prioritize and plan our time out as a group. And so this is just another great accountability tool that teaches students how to learn to mix it up and come up with ideas together and do it in an in-person setting. Because what you'll find is when students do it in a professional setting like this, it carries on beyond the classroom. When students learn to collaborate and work together in groups, sometimes with people who they don't know, sometimes with people who they may not have liked before the project, when they start having these conversations and they share meaningful tasks with one another, they learn that, oh, this person who I didn't like or this person I didn't know, oh, they're human. <laughs> oh, they're people just like me. Oh, they're, uh, all of a sudden they're humanized because we're interacting with one another. And all of a sudden that carries beyond the classroom. What's really happening is students are learning to form relationships with, with each other. And when they have these relationships, all of a sudden it just adds this flavor to your classroom but then also to their own lives. And isn't that what we want in our classrooms? And speaking of flavor, I think another way to help students learn to interact with each other is to give some fun to our classrooms every single day. And I don't care what it is you teach or what grade level you teach or how advanced it is or how not advanced your subject area is, whatever it is, I think there needs to be an element of fun in every single classroom. Not the whole time, because. All of life isn't fun. Work isn't always fun. But man, we want life to be fun a lot of the time. And we want fun to be in our work, right? That is an important thing. And what happens is when students have ways of enjoying themselves in the classroom, all of a sudden that loosens them up and they have these shared experiences and that causes more socialization. And so maybe that's just every day when students walk into your classroom, you're playing music and students get input on what kind of music you're playing. You know, maybe you start off class with jokes and, and, and maybe there's just a joke every day and you get, get students laughing or maybe you throw it out there to students, hey, who wants to tell a joke today? Obviously an appropriate one. But who wants to tell a joke and let's get each other laughing? Maybe it's showing a funny video. Maybe it's doing show and tell every now and then. Maybe students bring in a picture of their pet or you do a scavenger hunt or there's a meme of the day or a trivia question. Anything to get it just loosened up so students feel comfortable in your classroom because when they're comfortable in their classroom, they're going to be much more inclined to be comfortable with each other. And then one of the last things I want to talk about is helping students learn to listen to one each other, to one another. 
Because, you know, social interaction is not just talking with someone else. And it's not even just the body language that you give off with others. It's also listening to what other people are saying while they're talking to you. And this can be a really challenging thing to do as a human being is actively listen to other people. I know it's something that I am constantly trying to get better at myself is actually listening to what other people are saying to me instead of just planning out my response to whatever they're saying to me, but actively listening to it. And so I think it can be really fun and, and helpful to, to be intentional with students about what active listening actually looks like. You know, one, uh, one thing I love to do at the beginning of the school year is, is to do some active listening activities with students. One of them is called the dream vacation. And so what you do is you pair students up and you say, all right, I want one person in the group to share with their partner details of what their dream vacation would look like, but you can't say where that place is. And so I might say to somebody with my partner, I might say, all right, my dream vacation is I would want it to be somewhere warm, I want to be by the ocean. I want to do fun things like surfing, but I also want to be able to go inland and have some type of adventure. I want to see cool wild animals. I want the people uh, where this dream vacation is to speak another language other than English because I want some culture. Uh, and so, yeah, that's my dream vacation. So I would say all of that to my partner and I would tell the partner beforehand, actually, I'd say, all right, what you're going to do after they share the details of their dream vacation, you are going to repeat back everything that you heard. So you're going to summarize what you heard, and then you're going to recommend a, a good location for their dream vacation. So the person would describe all the things about the beach and adventure and going inland and finding different animals and culture and all that. And then I would say, okay, so I heard you say that you want to go to the beach. You want to go somewhere warm, uh, it sounds like you would maybe enjoy surfing. You want to see some cool exotic animals. So they repeat back everything. I would recommend that you go to Costa Rica. So it, it's a way of getting them to actually, you have to listen deeply to repeat back and summarize everything you heard, but then you have to process it in, in your recommendation. So you're showing that you didn't just hear what they said. You actually listened to what they said because you were able to do something with it, synthesize it, and then give them uh, a, an idea to, of something to do with it. And so I think fun conversations like that. There's another one uh, which is all about students raising their hand while the other person is talking every time that they hear their own inner voice. And so you have them just signify that they hear their own inner voice. And it's just kind of a way of showing students how loud our voices can be sometimes inside our own heads and so how hard it can be to listen to somebody else. But doing fun activities like that that are kind of making a point and illustrating what active listening looks like can be something that carries on as we have them more have more academic or personal discussions. You can frame it by saying, hey, remember the dream vacation activity that we did? We are going to talk right now about how we're really doing. I want you to be able to do the same thing. I want you to be able to repeat back everything somebody said to you and then formulate your, your response. Remember how we active listen? Maybe even if you're doing a class discussion. All right, everybody, as a group, we are going to have this discussion together. Let's make sure that we are actively listening to one another. Everybody will get a chance to respond, but don't formulate re your response as they're talking. We'll make some space to do it afterwards. And again, this is teaching students how to talk with each other how to listen to each other, how to respond to each other. Because the thing is, that's what it really comes down to. A lot of students have had a long gap between having a meaningful social interaction and not having it. Or, you know, my, my son started COVID as a kindergartner. 
So when everything locked down, he was still in kindergarten. And, you know, he's in third grade now. This is like his first year with complete normalcy. You know, there's no masks. There's no social distancing. Students are back together. And, you know, we've done a lot of work, and his teacher has done a tremendous amount of work to help him continue to socialize throughout the whole pandemic. But, you know, he, he, he didn't have a before uh, when it comes to school. It's the school. He's lived in this alternative universe of school for the last three years. He, he doesn't know what healthy social interaction in a school setting looks like before COVID. And so this is kind of new for him. And his teachers have been full of grace with all of their students as they're teaching them these absolutely vital skills. But you know, you might, whether you teach elementary or middle or high school, you might have students who have simply forgotten how to have meaningful social interactions with each other. And so it's new to them again. And so we've got to create space for it. We've got to have check-in meetings where we're modeling what good discussion looks like and how to actually invest in other people and listen to other people. You know, we can have protocols and give them meaningful work where they are doing professional work, but they have to do it together. The work would not succeed if we don't collaborate. We've got to give them that stuff so that it can amplify the learning that they have in school so it can amplify their experiences in the future so they're prepared to socially interact beyond school but then also so it can just give them a richer life now because humans are communal beings we are meant to be together and there's been a lot of things the last couple years that have split us apart whether it's the pandemic whether it's social media whether it's all of the technology whatever it is there's a lot of things getting in the way, but I don't think anything is lost. I think we can teach students these absolutely vital skills, but it's going to take intentionality. So that is what some of the things that I think we can do. You know, I just created last week uh, these ground ruled posters for class discussion, and I'm really, really excited about them. They're just basic ground rules that I always give to students before we have discussions with one another. And I think that really helped lend to what we're talking about with social interaction, because if you follow these ground rules, we're actually going to interact better. We're going to have healthy discussions with one another. We're not going to leave frustrated and mad with it one another. Everybody's going to feel like they had an opportunity to speak and share what they were thinking and respond to what other people are thinking. And so I've created these ground rules posters. I created a couple that are a little bit more elementary in style. And I also have one that would work really well with secondary classrooms. You can get them for free on my website. Um, and if you go to my website, you'll be able to find them pretty quickly, or you can go to, to any of my social media pages where I've posted them as well. They're just PDFs, and they've got the ground rules. I will listen respectfully when someone else is talking. I'll be critical of ideas, not people. I'll allow everyone a chance to speak. I'll ask for clarification if I'm confused. I will collaborate, not compete. And if I'm offended by something, I will call it out immediately. So you can find those on uh, these nifty little posters I made on my website. Um, and, and they might help you and your students create a space for better and more healthy uh, discussion, but then also so social interaction. So I just want to say one more time before we sign off here. You might be frustrated with some of the apathy that we've seen in students. You might be frustrated with the lack of social interaction that's happening between students in classrooms. But just know that's because discussion and social interaction, those are like skills. And skills are like muscles. Muscles, if you don't work them out, they atrophy. And if you do work them out, they become stronger. And so I think a lot of students have some atrophied social interaction skills, and so we need to strengthen them. And that comes through practice, that comes through intentionality, 
And that comes through a desire of their teachers and the educators in their schools to help them learn to meaningfully work and discuss and talk and interact with each other. So let's go ahead and do that. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir, and it is such a joy to get to be a small part of your educational journey. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and you can expect another one real soon. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.